Yes, welcome to the No Ideas Original Podcast featuring Shanon, Mr. Rob, Zane. Zane will tap in with us in a minute, but today we are joined by some legends. We got producer Baby Paul in the house, and we got DJ Mr. FX in the house. What's up, y'all? Peace, hey. Hey, How you doing? How you doing? How everybody doing? I'm, I'm hanging in there, man. Thanks for putting up and having this conversation with us. Yo, anytime we have the opportunity to build with people that, you know, that have the, the length of experience that you both have in the game, you know, it's, it's definitely, definitely a, a, a crucial conversation. Like, yo, I've been into hip hop for mad years, you know, without saying my age and I'm in my forties, but I still consider, I still consider myself a student of the game. So I'm, I'm always interested in building with dudes that have the type of experience that you brought us That's have. real, because I feel the same way, and I've been around for a little while. I've been around a little while. <laughs> you got, yo, you got you. got You see, you're on the same time I'm on. You don't need to say the age. Just know I've been here for a minute. Yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> I mean, yo, so... Go ahead, nah, go ahead. I mean to cut you off. I was just going to say, music is infinite, and it's ever-evolving, so you got to evolve with it. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's so, a fact. I still feel like I did when I was age 25 when I started, man. Every every year is an adventure, you know. That's uh, right. Keep going. That, that's a fact. That's a good segue into what, I mean, for both of you, I want to ask, you know, how did you find your way into music? Because a lot of our music journeys don't start with hip-hop. You know, it's, it's something else that sparks that interest that gets us into music. So for both of you, how do you end up finding your way into music? I'm going to let DJ Mr. FX talk first. Oh, man. Oh, um, <laughs> Mine's is like a, it's like the, it's like the cliche, the cliche story because I'm, I'm originally from South Jamaica Queens, right? So I'm from, I'm from 109. So for me, as a young, as a young kid, all I saw was Park Jam. Shout out, salute to Grandmaster Vic, um, Disco Twins, Infinity uh, uh, Machine, and things like that. So for me. It always been about the music because it was everywhere. It was prominent, right. you know right. what I'm saying? Uh, um, like I'm like where I'm from is like you got Mary Boulevard, and back in the days, Garbour it used to be called New York Boulevard. Right. So, and a lot of people don't know. So you had the D's, you had on Jamaica Avenue, the Jamaica Avenue, it was a famous um, roller skating ring that you had um, Grandmaster Flash and Money Mel and all of them used to come there and things like that. They, like, they got flyers and, and things like that to document all this stuff. Right. So for me, it was, a, it was really about the music. But then my older cousins, Every Friday they was going to the Red Parry and they was talking about this. Ah, and so, so I was just yeah. like, you, you show, know, you showing your age too, Mr. DJ. Yo, I'm, yo, I'm, yo, every, you know what's so funny? I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like proud of my age because, as you, you know, should. Yeah, because I grew up. I'm the same age as hip hop. Mm. That's right. All right. You know what I'm saying? Seen it since its inception. Yeah, so it was like, I, you know, like, we, we the same, the, the same year, you know what right. I'm saying? I'm a 1973 baby, 
You know what I'm saying? I'm proud of it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Don't, don't so. feel bad, bro. I'll be 50 years old. I'm 72, me. Yo. And, and yeah, I, I don't yeah. I, 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 I'm showing it. Put it this way. I'm showing it and speaking on it. You know what I mean? Put it this way. We are some grown ass men, dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. That's yeah, a fact. So, I, I would just say for me, it started with, um, you know, I mean, I grew up in Jamaica, Queens also, but then I also relocated to parts of New York like Brooklyn, Crown Heights, Flatbush. So I was able to be inspired by the, the greats before me. You know, I was, I was a kid. I was a fly on the wall in the same streets and neighborhoods that Run DMC came up in, LL came up in, Mikey D came up in. You know, the list goes on. A lot of Queens legends. A lot Yo, of Queens legends. You know what's crazy? I mean? Sweet T, you know, Kid and Play, Herbie Lovebug, Salt and Pepper, like... A lot, of his, a lot of history ain't my history. blood, man. Yeah. And it's funny you say Mikey D, because I remember growing up, I had a friend who lived on 225th, Springfield Boulevard, Farmers Boulevard out there somewhere. And he used to have jams in the one park. And Mikey D used to come out there looking for LL. Like, where this nigga yeah. at? Yeah, he wanted to battle him. It's true. Bro, he always wanted to battle him, son. And I was like, yo, wow, I'm actually in the epicenter of some shit right here. And I had to go so Exactly. 12, 11. Mm. I was able what to was so travel crazy? Huh? Shout to Mikey D. What was so crazy? Shout to Mikey D. Because remember, he did the second main source album when 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 after the first Break It Adams came out. Okay. He lost the best in Kid Cut, you know, had went to that hiatus. Right. right. And, um... Um, I keep in touch with Mikey because I'm I'm, I'm one of the silent curators of Main Source to this day, which I'll share later. Wow. And um, uh, he told me that him and LL are still, still like very that? close friends <laughs> to this day. Like, he, sure. they get on the phone throughout the year and check on each other. You know what I'm saying? Behind That's the scenes. Stuff. Like, you know, so I respect L for that because he's, he, he, he remembers where he's from despite all his success. So for like Mikey D in the past year to tell me he just spoke to L, like to me that's just dope. Yes, yeah, yeah, no. Yo, yo, real this, quick, you know real quick. Saying? I wanna I, I just I just I you know like a shameless plug. So this is a park, St. Albans Park, and I'm gonna tell you there used to be a famous band that used to actually play in that park. Mm -hmm. Um Tom Brown. A lot of people don't know that 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 song Jamaica Funk. Funk for Jamaica. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm just I'm I'm just gonna break that down. That song is actually paying homage to Jamaica. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Um, um, the part where he goes, going to 106, um, 165th Street Mall, they talk about the Coliseum block. Okay. Yeah. That's the Coliseum block. Yeah. All right. That's what's up. Yeah, yeah, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me say this also. So, you know, people, people get into the industry based on their passion. But something makes you shift from being passionate about the music into business mode. What is it that leads? What sort of what becomes the impetus that makes a person shift from being passionate about music to going into business mode? It's funny you say that because for me, that's exactly what happened to me throughout my career as I grew in my career. My first five years as a music producer, starting out with the beat miners, shout out to you, Mr. Wall. You know what I mean? And producer for Duck Down Records, shout out to Black Moon, Smith and West, and Huffman Skelter, OGC. First five years of my career, you know, I was 
fan of the music first and then I got the opportunity to actually contribute to the culture through these records I was doing. Right. And yes, I was getting paid and yes, I started getting my name out there, but I was doing it for love. I was doing it for my peers. You know what I mean? Like, I was fans of Tribe and Pete Rock and Gangstar and, of course, Main Source, everything that came before me. So when I was blessed the opportunity to actually make records that my peers could hear it, I'm just like, ooh, wow, this is dope. You know what I'm saying? Right, but right. then the reality sets in when you have to manage your finances and your needs and be responsible as an adult, earning a living, doing this as a career. There you you go. gotta pay attention to the business. You gotta pay attention to your publisher. You gotta pay attention to your worth as a producer, how much you get paid for your records. You gotta pay attention to the business structure of the deals you do, whether as a producer or an artist. You gotta pay attention to contracts. You have to have relationships with lawyers, people that do marketing, all the stuff behind the scenes. If you don't understand the business at some point, you're gonna get lost and the art, you know what I'm saying, will be you know, you'll, you'll be the, the dude that's into the art, but you're not earning a good living off of your art. So for me, I had to have that balance. You know right, 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 right. How do you along, along the, yeah, sure. How do you how do you keep the creativity though? Because you see, some people become solely, totally entrenched in business that all of the creative juices are sucked away. I've heard people say before, you listen to a lot of dudes' first album, and it's their best work because they hungry. That's the they yo they was eating a dollar hero. <laughs> from the bodega going to the studio getting high and writing and they were committed but then once they started getting the trappings and the industry and making the money and became business minded some of that creativity seemed to go away so how do you keep that hunger and stay creative right well, both you me, should, right go ahead go ahead, go ahead. now i was gonna i was uh, to piggyback on this question i was gonna ask the both of y'all what drives the both of y'all right for me it's First, the love of the music. I mean, I, I listen to everything. I listen to all types of genres of music. I don't get into this mindset that because someone is out making music and they're younger than me, I can't listen to it. I can have my personal taste and preference because I'm creative, but I still listen. Right. Because it, it, listening is also a form of education. You can learn from something. Absolutely. And then in the process of that, me being out and about, being a networking type of person, I end up meeting different people. I meet people in the younger generation aspiring to get into this, and I become a mentor. I, you know, I share my experiences and my knowledge with them, so they can learn from from my tenure, from my mistakes, and be able to be in a better space coming into it. And then on the creative side, I can hear what they're doing and be inspired by that. And be like, oh man, you put it together. Then learn about equipment and software and technology and the changes in the digital age of technology to know how to apply that and still make records and yeah. be competitive. You know what right. I mean? But that's 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 the short version of my answer to that. I'm gonna let it touch the Mine's is, you know, the creativity and then, you know, basically how can you um change the scope of everything. Right. You know, you, you become innovative. Yeah, of course. You wanna you wanna you wanna be like, okay, wow, he flipped it like this, I could do this. You know? It for me, it gets a little bit competitive a little bit in my head. If that really kinda makes sense, just like right. just like if I go to a gig and DJ's hot, I'm just like, oh he he he, 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 he flipping it up. I'm just saying to myself like my set gotta be fired. <laughs> yeah, gotta be. It's like, you know, it's like one of the ways, like, you know, whatever you do, 
like you could be in sports, you could be, you know, baseball, whatever. It's like you wanna you you wanna be that person to be like, yo, you don't wanna be left out. Like, okay, you know. <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's right. You got you gotta you gotta stay you gotta keep your ears to the street and stay and stay grounded. Absolutely. Yo, Rob. Is it, it's funny that it's funny I even say that because you know we, we talk about that a lot about you know the young artist that's coming up and as there's I think like uh, we have like different levels of tolerance for, for, for new music like Bob is, I think Bob is very much a purist like boom bap I love boom bap mm-hmm. but I'm also I've also gotten to the point where I think uh, you know as a result of my children I've used them to kind of keep my ears young. Right. They, they feed they feed me music and you know some of it I like some of it I'm like nah it's not you know right. it's not for me but I don't turn any of it away because I feel like the, the moment I turn it away yeah lost you get lost touch with what's going on what the sound is you get lost it's true man. and me and effects do the same thing we bounce off each other like you know I give I give effects his credit always have his industry he's technically the A and R to to everything I do you know what I mean he's he's the one that get me on my get me on my hip, he be on my heels about even what I'm doing, you know what I'm saying? Right. So, you know, and he and he, he never bites his tongue when he's trying to criticize. So, and I appreciate him for that. Like, it's whack, it's whack. So, we'll, go to, we'll go to war about certain things with music, <laughs> but it's but it's, there's a brotherhood behind it. It's right. not disrespectful. You know? Behind closed doors, man, you would think it's like some type of, you know, government things going on. Like, we just like... <laughs> <laughs> if they had put the camera on us, you'd be like, yo, somebody about to push the button. <laughs> <laughs> well, about to go down, right? Now, but you know something? Yeah. That shows that shows the level of gotcha. investment and being receptive to each other to give each other that feedback. That's the only way you're gonna grow. Um just going back to like even a piece around the hip-hop purist, you hear a lot of people talking about how there's been deterioration in hip-hop, like you know, lyricists. Uh, uh, come, they, they, lyricists are uh, long gone. There's very few artists that are still considered to be lyrical. DJs and effects, I listen to some of your stuff. I'm happy to say you still blending. I love that about DJs that still do oh, blend. Man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's your opinion on, you know, when people have that type of commentary or have those feelings in correlation to, I guess, like the evolution of music? Because once upon a time, you had to actually be able to sit in front of a SP12 or an MPC before a Fruity Loops. You had to actually be nice on Technique 1200s before there was a Serato. So I'm wondering, like, what's your opinion of these things? Do you feel like that's devalued, you know, people's contribution to production or devalue people's contribution to DJ? Okay. Um, I'm just going to say it like this, right? So me and B, we always talk about this all the time, so... <laughs> Basically, when it comes down to hip hop, when, when it comes down to hip hop, I always say that what we talking about now been going on since 1979, and I'm gonna show you, right? So basically, like I remember it from the parks, right? Park jams and things like that. Once hip hop got its representation through that song. And you know the song that I'm that we all talking about. You know what I'm saying? The Sugar Hill song. Rapper's Delight, baby. The Rapper's Delight. That was hip hop introduction. That was a commercial success, right. You right. So, right. But with that song came 
the first ghost rider. <laughs> the first thievery. Talk right? about it. Talk about it. So we say to be a purist, you can't have somebody in the right for you. Here we go. Right. We got a song. Somebody written. That's not the rapper. Okay, let's move forward. We're gonna, we're gonna move forward. Now hip hop is really making records. This time structure. Who's in there assisting the artists in making music? Right. So it's appointment. Here we go again. Here we go with that assist. Right? right. So right. it always going, it always go up, take a dip, go up, take a dip, go up, take a dip. And now you talking about the um you talking about the equipment. Everybody start everybody didn't start off with the SP12s and the MP. See, that's the 90s. What happened to the the Tito 808s, the Tito 909s. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We don't give credit to Larry Smith producing um Curtis Blow. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. The 80s producers. Right away when we talk about hip hop, we go directly into the 90s with the That's MP. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like and forget, and forget people was making taste pause button record tapes too, son. Yeah, exactly. That was the first right. style of making shit together. We paused that <laughs> ad on and paused that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and like Effect said, there's so much legendary hip hop that came out of the '80s that, for some reason, I mean, we've we've tagged the '90s as the golden era. Golden era. Yeah. I'm, I'm blessed to say I made my name in that era. But right. growing up, I studied hip hop from the '80s to be able to do what I did in the '90s. You dig what I'm saying? Yeah. I was a fan of Curtis Blow's work. I was a fan of fucking Larry Smith, producer for Brother T. Houdini, Jazzy Jazzy J, producer for T. LaRock, producer for LL, like yeah. Rick Rubin. I studied all that shit. Beastie Boys. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, and like, like the fact said, they were using TR-808s and drum machines. That was the introduction of the 808 that yeah. people still use to this day. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you know, we can't you know disregard the contributions of hip hop in the '80s because it still shapes hip hop to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Now what was doing though, as we was moving forward, we was making kids. So the thing is, what we what we kind of like failed to do, and I would say this is a responsibility of the, of the whole entire village. We didn't put the babies on our lap, and 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 you know. Get that feel, get that touch. You know what I'm saying? We kept them doing it right here. You sit down, you know, doing whatever, whatever. So now when they grow up, the disconnect is there. So now you have booty loops. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because as as you leave kids by themselves, they're going to get into things. Yeah, they're going to just how we was. They're going to figure it out. Yeah, they, they was just how we was. You know what I'm saying? Like, I bought, I bought my mom a couple of record players. Oh, you was DJing on the belt drive? What? Oh, the belt? <laughs> <laughs> no, I bought the belt. I bought the needles. The arm wasn't good. Oh, I can throw that thing up. I got my behind wood. That's how you but, learn, though. That's how you learn. So it's the same thing with the, with the newer generation. You leave them by themselves, they're going to get they're gonna get into things and remember the first music uh, um, program was Cakewalk. 
Yeah. So you know, so you're so you know they was in there studying that. Right. And then when Foodie Loops came, they just like, hey, this is easier. Yeah. Jump yeah. on that. Look at that. In your window also, right? Cakewalks, in your window, in your windows, and it was a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a lot a- of let me let me let me ask you and, and either one of y'all can take but it's more directed to Paul mm-hmm. talk about the importance of, of investing in yourself I heard you mention that that mm-hmm. you you, know, you, you, you kind of took the bull by the horns based on whatever environment you see you know what let me let me focus on me talk about that yeah. um going back to you know just from the production standpoint you know I, I invested in my production gear like my, my, I started with Smith West Ave on the SP12, not even 1200, the SP12 with the turbo with the external hard drive just to save, wow. you know what I'm saying, my, my beats and my sound. You can literally use the 12. I had a drum machine, some samples and everything in the beat right. in the machine and turn the machine off and then turn it back on and still beat it. You know what I'm saying? That's right. how the 12 was. Then I got the 1200. Then as I was making more money, I got the NPC. But I didn't start using NPC. Primo was one of the first ones I seen using NPC. Using the NPC 16 to 62. I started using it around the time that the 2000 and 3000 came out. Because I was just an SP1200 guy. You had to really explain with that, you know, that MP60. A lot of people don't know. That's just like compared to like the three that the 3000. You gotta you gotta you gotta get a little kind of technical. Oh yeah. But like you know, <laughs> when 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 uh, I graduated to using more technology as it came to me, you know, because the twelve hundred only had ten seconds of sample time, then you had to get what's called a rack mount um, sampler, like a Kai S nine fifty or Kai one thousand, to use the more extensive samples and then the range of music around that, and use right. the SP twelve hundred as a master trigger to program the drums with the sampler, you know, with the rack sampler. But then with the MPC, you have more sample time. You have more layers of um, how you can arrange sounds in the machine from drums to music and right. have it all tracked out. So right. when I really got into the 2000 and 3000, and of course uh, with the SP1200 being 10 seconds of sample time, it was only 16 bit. So the sound quality, even if you're taking it from a recording like a record, the sampling, it wasn't as clean. Yeah. And we started using the MPC technology by Kai by Lynn. I don't know if his last name is Lynn Rogers. Lynn Rogers. Yes, Lynn Rogers. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, when he created that technology, the sonics of sampling was cleaner. And, you know, that's how the MPC was able to graduate from all those different versions all throughout the years within the hip hop culture and become a constant um, hard, uh, choice of hardware before the software game came in, before people started using computer programs. See now, see now, I started from the ASL 10 mm. keyboard. Shout out to RZA. You know what I'm saying? So, and, and, and have So, you know what I'm saying? And have it, yeah. Yeah, so there's a different, you know, I, I started out with that, like a machine that does all in one. You know what I'm saying? Sample, filters, the drums, and everything like that. So, you know. So, so to finish your question real quick, from the production standpoint, I would always invest in myself as the technology changed. But then from the business standpoint, you know, after like that, like I mentioned earlier, the first five years of producing records with Jump Down and then starting to move into doing more business uh, oriented work with my production, 
I was never afraid to say I'm going to put things out independently. My first uh, producer album was a project I did called um, Baby Paul Underground Veteran, and I did a licensing deal with Fat Beat. And I took a compilation of all my songs that I had to my career at that time and put it on a compilation and released it and distributed it. I paid for the marketing myself in partnership with Fat Beat. Then I did a version of my instrumental album called Throwback City back in 2007. Did another you life was independent video. before independent was independent. Before it was popular. Yeah. Yeah. Before it was popular, I, I saw it coming. I actually had deals with Baby Van Records. I had deals with Universal Republic. And this was before Tune. But this is before TuneCore came about as a as a distribution platform for um, iTunes. You know what right. I'm saying? Right. Like I had partnerships with these companies and projects I was trying to do with these, these companies before it was as cool as it is now to be independent. Flex used to make fun of me. I gotta bring this up. This is culture talk. He used to be like, yo, why be independent, man? Let a company pay for your pay for your marketing. Go to a major. Stop trying to be independent. Get, get you this hard. argument back then. This argument back then. Flex got that, that look on his face like you. This yo. argument back then was artists don't know how to do business by themselves. They can't mm. be independent. And I understood what he was saying. You know right. what I'm saying? If you like, don't know what you're doing. Go to a label. Let them spend the yeah. money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because yeah. let's be honest. Let's be honest, right? We want, like, I like Mariah Carey. We all love Mariah Carey's music. But let's just imagine the fifth album, she was totally independent. I mean, it'd be different. But I guess if she already had the fan base, <laughs> make her money. Oh, yeah. you know what I'm saying? The like, rollout, the rollout won't be the same though. The rollout won't be the same. The creativity ain't gonna be the same because you stress more. Mm-hmm. You do it all hats. Yeah, think about it. Think about it. Can you imagine at that time? You talking about 2000? Let's say, let's say early 2003. She she decided to do that. You mean to tell me she gonna buy mad CDs and she gonna be up? Pressing Massey. <laughs> yo, yo, CD bro, yo, FX is talking about independent, 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 like independent, independent. We're not even talking about distribution, digital distribution, like it is now. We talking about early days of distribution. Right. Can you imagine how with CD towers? Hand to hand. Yo, but let me let me say this though. Let me let me let me say this though because. I forget who he's talking to, Rob, about this. And I was saying, like, the math in my head works real quick. So I'm thinking that, you know what? Would I rather sell a million copies on a major label or would I rather sell 100,000 independently? And to me, that's a lot of that got to do with, you know, high call. Like, people want to be able to say, you know, I I went platinum and how the illusion of what it is. But the the you're going to make on selling a million going platinum on a major versus a hundred thousand independent, you know, it's just a matter like I personally I would take the hundred thousand independent, but I see what you're saying, effects, because you get used to having the, that major machine behind you, you know, right. throwing in the marketing dollars, you know, right. going, you know, doing all that work at, the, at radio and all that stuff for you, getting you in rotation, getting your records played and all that. Um and I think in, in your defense also back then to 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 your credit you had to have a, it had to, you had to have vision around that. You had to have vision. A lot of people didn't see it as a necessity. and resources. Vision, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm just gonna say this. I'm just gonna say this too. It's the same thing. Like 
people that purchase homes and you got your properties and things like that, right? So if you got A1 credit, what you gonna do? A lot of times they take out a loan, right? Music business, music business is nothing but you take me, it's the same thing. They give you money. Property. They give, they give it, they give me, they give you money, right? It's about what you do with it. You know what I'm saying? You don't supposed to take the whole thing and this and then and then this me. Can you imagine if, if they give you five hundred thousand, right? So I look at it like this: it's a bank. Take the five hundred thousand. You could take at least two fifty, or maybe one fifty. Put that in the IRA account. Compound. Oh man, right here. Compound. Just let it sit. You know what I'm saying? And work and work with the other rest. Work with the rest and of then, the time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, now, now. I always say that you're gonna have extras and things like that. The extras is whatever, whatever. Now, if you don't recruit, there you go. You just pull that out here. There you go. Hands it off. That's right. Hands That's if you get legit accounting. That's a whole. <laughs> That's a whole. <laughs> whole We're even gonna get into that. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me ask, yeah, let no, me but ask. I look at. But, but see, see, then again, right now, all, all, all three of us right now. You don't have no middleman handling your, your money. So the same thing, you know, you got to do. You really have to be on top of your fact. own your own resources, your own game. Yeah, right, you know what I'm right. saying? Because this is your money. This is this is your business. That's you know right. what I'm saying? It's your business. Right. There you go. Yeah. Well, you say you was about to say something. Yeah, no, I was I was gonna say. Um, That's a good point. Everybody, everybody always sees. The finished product of everything but they don't know you know like there's there, a lot of times you don't get the story in terms of what the process was and how rough it was for people to get to that point and there's some people who are process oriented that really appreciate the process and there are other people that's like i ain't here for this i want the success forget the other stuff so i'm just interested in hearing from both of you guys like tell me the the what the process looked like for getting your first placement not your first major song but just your first placement where you was like damn i worked my ass off and now i'm on joe schmo single or song or whatever it was what did that look like for me it was producer smith and wesson's first album the shine you know like i was around the b minus form before that you know again southeast would be mr wolf and i was in the ball that what was being done in black moon i was in most of the sessions of making that album but I contributed ideas and records to sample and things like that, but I was never credited as a producer. I didn't physically make a beat and place it with them. Right. Yet. So wow. it didn't it didn't happen until Smith and Wesson when I did like recognize and uh Home Sweet Home and you know the funny thing is some of those records shot for Tech and Steel were demos that I did, you know, like in home studios that ended up making the album and then we cut it in a, in a bigger studio and made it for the album. So for me, my first major placements would be officially Smith & Wesson decided, which is a great way to come into hip hop. It's right. a classic hip hop album to this day. Yeah. The time I, I'm appreciative and humbled that. And it was weird because it all started with me just playing some of my beats on a little radio in D&D Studios, being around that circle from already being a part and in the circle from the Black Moon album. And I just playing some beats I made and still was like, yo, that's you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, that's your high. 
dumb. Let me get a copy of that. And then we built a bond to the point where he used to just come to my crib in Brooklyn and fuck with me on King Music and I got this that led to me being on that album. And even right. the album cover that was borrowed from my jazz um, album, Roy Ayers, he's coming. It's a jazz album by Roy Ayers. He covered with the eye. You know what I'm saying? So still borrowed that record from me from my collection and had a photographer recreate the image you see on the cover of the dress album. So for me, I feel like my contribution to that album is deeper than just the music. It, it was the vision of that record, you know, and my work on that record that made that album. You know what I'm saying? So, right. Yeah. I, how did you find yourself in Bootcamp? Or that whole scene? Well, it, 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 it was really the beat miners because he would be a Mr. Water Brothers, you know, he would be the DJ for Black Men. And shout out to Chuck Chill Out. Chuck Chill Out was the one that helped break Black Moon with Who Got the Prop. You know what I'm saying? And they only had a single deal with Nervous Records at the time. But when that record took off and it started charting not only the hip hop charts, it was charting on the R&B charts and the dance records charts. So a lot of people don't know, Nervous Records was known for dance music right. before they got into hip hop. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? So they knew how to market it in a way to tap into these different charts, and that's why it helped make that single particular so big. Right. So, you know, they were just taking chances doing single deals, but there was so much of a demand for the music. It was like, yo, let's, let's give these guys an album. So that's what made us, made Black Women make an album. And, um, you know, it, 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 it compounded into like, okay, Mr. West is in the circle. Let's put them on. Held the Skelters in the circle. Let's put them on. And eventually, that's how I grew into boot camp. But my relationship with Walt, Mr. Walt, the brother of Evil D, is what brought me into the fold of the beat miners and, 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 and making a name for myself, producing records and, and being in the fold of the boot camp. You know what I'm saying? Because the boot camp was accepted from Buckshot to Smith & Wesson to help the Skelters in that order. Yeah. And you said you didn't, you did wipe your mouth, but you said you didn't like that record. I, yeah, I thought that record was nah, hot. That, nah. and I like, you know what? Uh, uh, no, nah, I appreciate it. The reason why I didn't like wipe your mouth is the subject matter. You know oh, what I'm okay. I get it. You know, street niggas would be like, nah, that shit was hard, son. But <laughs> when I made that beat, if you imagine that beat by itself before you heard yeah, that, record, I can see, yeah, I can you would see. understand how I looked at it. Yeah. I was I'm, looking at it like honestly, this yeah. could be a single. Right. Production wise, musically, it was a vibe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was a vibe. Mm-hmm. It was a vibe that fit right along with Ain't Hard to Tell or, or a certain Black Moon record. You know what I'm saying? Musically. Yeah. And I used the same drums on that beat that was used on Ain't Hard to Tell, Shop Along because he was one of my inspirations. So when I did the beat, I have a, a whole other vision of what this record could be on this album as a single. But then when they went into the whole dick riding and very explicit lyrically, I was like, oh, this, this, this ain't gonna be no simple. This record ain't gonna be no You know what I'm saying? So that yeah, was my whole thing. Because again, I've always been competitive. I want that single, bro. I want to hit record too, man. You know what I'm saying? I love making great music, but I want to have that single. So niggas like, nah, that nigga makes some hot shit. You, know I mean? you, did, you did Partners in Crime also? No, no, no. I didn't do Partners in Crime. I think Evil D did that one. I did, I did, uh, on the first time I did Recognize, Only Home, and Wipe Your Mouth. Okay. And I collaborated on Buck Cat. You know what I'm saying? Like that was like a B minus collective. Nice. That was and dope. then uh, I think Rich Black did one time. You know, that's the one with the video where they yeah. did the concept of the shining. Yeah. And then uh yeah. and Walt did uh uh Let's Get It On, you know what I mean? And, 
and you know, like he did some of the other songs. You know what I mean? So, you know, classic album. Man. Classic album. Your effects. Yeah. Yeah. What's the largest crowd you ever rocked and with? When I opened up for Kid Capri, it was that it, it was it was um it was a club in the city called Club Spirit, and I'm talking about it was Ram, and um you also had um um, um the voice of New York, he passed away. Um, Frank Jigger. Frank Jigger. Yup. Yeah, Frank Jigger. Look at so, you know your history, shot. Yeah, man. He was, he was, <laughs> he was, um, 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 he was my MC. So it was just, it was, it was just amazing. Um, Skip to my new way for Austin was in, it was star study. And the fact that of controlling everything, like mad people in he was in the zone. I, I, oh yeah, definitely. I was just like, yeah, that's like a dope New York party, man. I miss yeah. it. Yeah. To get, to get like a clap and a pat on the back from kids, I was just like, okay, all right. Yeah, son, the big homie oh. gave you. Yeah, he gave you. Yeah, off to the. It's like off to the races. Like I'm, I'm, you know. So, you know, I did. And, and if you want anyone to co-sign you, that's who you want to. Oh yeah, of course, of course. That's the New York. Yo, we had uh, we had Ron G on, and we had um, Duop on, and I think I asked both of them. What um, what do you think was, what do you think helped transition mixtapes from being blend tapes to what DJing actually is now? Because there's a lot of DJs that's like critically acclaimed that people love. That my man, yo, they play a record, they hit a button. You hear the explosion, and then the next record come on. You don't hear no type of blending. Nobody trying to do no mixing, like none of that. So <laughs> what led to that transition from? Get him, get him, Cap. Get him, Cap. Get him. Mixing records. Let's go. Straight up and That's down. That's a yo, good question to ask. Yo, let me hit that button, play that drop, and put the next record on. Cause, yo, Paris Hilton is a DJ now. Oh, mm. <laughs> Serato, right. man. I hate that Serato. Let me tell you something. When you mention names go. like that, it, it, it's it's more of like a tastemaker of personality. It's not necessarily DJ skill. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to say that transition, I was right in the thick of it because of my family. Shout out to Cup Master C. That's my cousin. That's my first cousin. The things like that. Um, so, like I said, I was doing heavy blending, shout out to Buddha Barber, I Dog, and all and all, and things like that. So, the introduction of that actually came from, I had to give a shout out to Pudgy the Fat Bastard. Shout out to Pudgy. We have Pudgy on. We have Pudgy yeah. on. He's a good brother too, man. He is, he played a critical part because, see, you had Cupmaster C, which is, like, that's, you know, that's my family, that's my cousin. Then you had another DJ by the name of Clue. Oh. Around the same time, they started making... <laughs> you, got, you got it ready as a prop right there. Yeah, <laughs> masters. You know what I'm saying? Masters. So, um, oh man, so at at first, everybody was doing the traditional 
mixtape, which was the hottest song, a little bit of hip hop with a little bit of blend. That's the traditional mixtape formula, which was stamped by Kid Capri, um, who Star 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 Child? No, this is before. Yeah, things like that. There was there was a formula. Now when Ron G and everything, that's when like you know the blends. But I have see for me, I have to say Grandmaster Vic. He's the I would say the 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 father of the blends because that's what he was doing. He was doing that since. 八十年，你知道吗？八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十年，八十
and this the art of just getting records just just started getting crazy. I I I, I can share this. Your uh your 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 um your mail carriers they play a very essential uh, uh, role on how you get a lot of exclusive. Baby mamas, baby mamas play a real. <laughs>
y'all kind of know what I'm getting at. I had um not in on to tell what was the one um, um the first one I was on Zebra Head halftime oh or halftime the halftime show and then one time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, represent. Yeah. Yes. Shout out, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that, that's what I'm just going to leave right Yo. there. I'm just going <laughs> to leave it right there. He was getting and his after, hands on those records. After, after, after like, after like a couple of days, I, you know what I'm saying? I just, I, I just stopped going. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Yo. Just to close the conversation. That's all the fake need. I'm good. Just to close the yeah, just to close the conversation on those rap albums, I'll just point out with like the, how special like to me I feel like Fuji Rap is probably the most underrated I agree. in hip hop culture. Yeah. Being a, being around watching him make that album. Oh people mention him, but the culture doesn't embrace him in the same way. Come on. What did what did uh what did uh Jay Z say on that song um, Encore? He said like G Rap in his prime. Like you know, he he recognized that. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I'm I personally feel the next generation of MCs is inspired by Rakim and Cool G Rap. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Okay, you got the okay. Nazis, the Azs, the Nazis, the uh, the um, pun. You know what I mean? I'm specifically talking about you know like that next generation of lyricists. Kane absolutely influential. Kane influenced people like Jay Z. Jay Z. But what I'm saying is, words. You you hear it. You hear right. it. Rock him. Cool G rap. You know what I'm saying? Like, bro. And I was just talking to one of my good friends, Prestige, formerly a bad boy hitman producer, like not even two days ago, about this. And I was like telling him how I was in the studio when and when G rap was making funk like sex. Oh man, I love that sample. <laughs> yeah, when he was a Sil Johnson sample, uh, King T made a hit record called Play It Your Own Wrist later. It's your own wrist. On the West Coast. Yeah, but G-Rat, dog, just the way that beat was put together. If you listen to it tonight on fucking YouTube, you'll be like, wow. Like, between the loop, the drum programming, yeah. the vocal chops, mm-hmm. that was ahead of his time for that year, bro. Who, who, did, who did that? Lars Pro did that? Lars Professor. Yeah, yeah, Paul, yo, he was, he was a dude. <laughs> yeah, I watched, I watched Lost Professor make some of the most incredible records I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, you know, man. You know and we're talking about pre-Illmatic, pre-Main Source. Yeah. You know and the crazy thing about it with Lost, um, with, um, with Lost Professor, he he was going, he was going to power play, but also he was coming to twelve twelve in, yeah. in in Jamaica, in Union Hall yeah. Street. Yeah. Um, R.I.P. Um, you know, I got a two part question. We had Steel on here, and my, my partner asked him, What the fuck does the fly mean? Right? He laughed out so loud, like, I, I know he did because I'm laughing because I, I, I. I what was his answer? You guys tell me his answer. No, I'm gonna tell you something. He said it's the fly shit. He was like, he said it's the fly shit. Nigga took it in him. He said, that nigga peace, son. He come up with some crazy <laughs> shit. <laughs> and he said, really? It just means your audio. Shit. You you muted. You, you muted that thing. But yeah, the floor, the fly, Skoshka. Yeah, he's still muted. Yeah, you still muted. You gotta unmute. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, yeah, okay. cool. Yeah, he, he was just like, he 
say, yo, um, the peak can make them some I'm going to have to put the audio on because I lost the Bluetooth. Give me one second, y'all. All right. Yeah. Lord, let's fly. I'm going to back in, all right? All right. Let's keep talking effects for a second. Be right back. Yo, he, he bugged out when we mentioned that to him. He was like, y'all niggas is crazy. Like, where the fuck did that come from? Nah, that, 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 that's a memorable, like, no one is ever taking a, 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 a phrase or, or, or a saying, made it its own, and make it into what it what it became to be. And I understand yeah, I'm that, back. Paul, that, 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 that Paul put, you know, he did that beat. My reason right. for asking that, yeah, build on you making that song, but melodically and sonically, what vibe do you search for when you're proposing to put the track together? Right. Um, I know I got cut off, so I just want to answer that question about the name. Like, um, rest in peace, Sean P, aka Ruff and Helter Skelter. He came up with that name, and back then, Ruff, Ruff was just a different dude. He was just a different dude. I can tell you. He's a street nigga, but he was a comedian. Everything. You imagine a street nigga that is serious and will bust your ass, but he's funny as fuck. That's Sean Price. A lot of things he didn't take seriously because he he had his own way of looking at things, his own his own lingo. You know what I'm saying? So if you notice in the intro of the record, he just says that and he's freestyling that. Literally on the record, and we just kept it. He said the name of this shit here is the blood, the the bad five. No one knew what that shit meant. No one questioned it. They just let it go. Yo. And then the and beat shit became a part of history. Yo, and the beat It's not a language. It, it, you can't translate that. You can't look that shit up. Yeah. That's just what it is. That's, That's why I asked him. That's why you asked him. You <laughs> <laughs> know what I'm saying? Wow. And uh, as far as the production, I sampled the jazz record by a group named The Catalyst. And I love the keyboard melody in there. And, you know, that was the era of when you used to chop samples and filter out the bass line on the Alkaius 950, you know, a technique that was used in a lot of hip-hop records, even, you know, like Pete Rock and so on, you know what I mean, BRTC. So I basically used the loop, I programmed the bass line, you know, filtered the bass line, programmed the bass line, separated it on two different tracks. The drum beat, believe it or not, I took the snare from James Brown, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. Yeah. Believe it or not. Like and I, I did like it on the SP12. Here's the funny story. I'm going to be quick about this. So I did it on the SP12. Remember I said I had the 12, not even a 1200 back then. Right, right. And I did it at home, and that shit was knocking. Frequencies of the snares, the way I truncated the drums, crazy. But then they was like, yo, you need to do the practice in the studio. The fucking files in the machine got deleted by accident. Wow. I had to redo everything in the studio physically on a 1200 because I couldn't bring my machine to the studio yeah. with the original way I made the beat and put right. it on the tape for them to hear it. Right. I knew all the samples I used, so I just redid it. Right. But that's why when I mix the record, the frequency of the snare may not sound as recognizable to your ears when you listen to that James Brown break. Okay, right, right, right. Y'all not gonna hear it the way I'm hearing it. You know what and I mean? That's the, reason, that's the reason why I asked you, what do you search for? Because even in songs like Understand mm-hmm. and um, Let Your Brain Blow, 
I'm hearing other shit. I hear the boom bap in there. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? All of those records were jazz records I sampled. And I was a student. I was a student of Tribe and Pete Rock back then. Right. But I wanted to find original records. I didn't want to copy what they did or flip something they already used. I wanted to find my own direction. So... Uh, for Let the Brains Blow, I used a Johnny Cage sample. It was like a, it was jazz, but it was like bossa nova type jazz. You know what I'm saying? And I just heard that part with the little string hit, yeah. and I used it. And it's so funny, because Jermaine Dupree did some remix for like one of them R&B niggas back then, and he, he took the sample from my record to put it in there, you know what I'm saying? And I peeped that shit, you know what I mean? And Kanye sampled something early in his career he did for an underground artist in Chicago. He sampled the Fleur La Fly and he used my drum. And I'll yeah. that shit too. Yeah. But I can only catch that because I made it. You made it. Sure, sure. You see what I'm saying? Sure. Um, but but uh but yeah, the Johnny Prey, I use a jazz sample, a Boston over sample. And and then um what was the other record you mentioned? Understand. Understand. That was a weird, weird, like alternative, another jazz record. You know, it's so weird. Like, some of my core fans for years, they kept asking me, what did you sample for that record? I'm looking for it. That shit crazy, right? And um, the drums is by a group called Whatnots. It's the same drums that was used on Bucktown, same drums that was used on a record called Hey Girl um, that lost the festival for um, Apache, right? But I used the original record, and I programmed it. And then I borrowed a sample idea from Pete Rock. You know that remix he did for House of Pain? Jump Around. Jump Around remix? He had a vocal sample from a a, a record on Stax where it it kept repeating that little voice that, he's that, he's that, you know what I'm saying? You hear that little vocal sample in the background? Yeah. I I took the 45 of the original record that he used and I programmed that little vocal snippet. It was kind of like a subliminal hit. Like, yeah, I'm taking your shit and flipping it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I put that in the background on that record. So Yo, that explains those records. So what 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 made you what made you um part ways with Duck Down? Because yo, you got like that that Well, it was a combination of reasons. I'm glad you asked. Um with, with Duck Down in particular, um I did the last two projects I did was Bootcamp album, The Chosen Two, you know, the ones that they wear in the jerseys. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think for the people was another boot camp album, and then Smith and Wesson's um, other album when they changed their names because they were sued by the Smith and Wesson Gun Company, they changed their name to Coco Brothers. Brutal Yeah, this was around 98, 99. Those are the last times I, I worked with them. I, I think the main reason for me was um, I didn't agree with the fact that they were taking me and walking around, meaning that. They will always call us to do protection on their album, but the rate never changed. So whatever their price, you know, to work on two albums ago, when they got another budget, they want to pay us the same rate. And I just felt like we're doing the bulk of the work on all your albums, you know, respect us. Open up them budgets, bro. So let me ask you this. We just co-executive producer rights. We didn't get none of that. They were treating us just like work for hire. And Mm. I got tired of that. Let me ask you this: Did they yeah. did they have did they have the means? Because I just always assumed that Duck Down was a smaller independent label, but they had major budgets. Let me tell you something: Duck Down partnered with Priority off the yeah. demos I did for Help the Skelter. You know what I'm saying? I I demoed Let the Brain Flow. It was a white label. 
before they did the deal with Priority. I never said this to anybody before. That was a white label. The reason why I have five records on Help the Skeleton's Nocturnal album, that was their thank you. That was them saying, you know what? You really helped us put us in this position. So we're gonna do a lot of work on this album. You dig what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, so I demoed Let the Brain Flow. I demoed another song called Soldiers One Cycle. Those two songs made the album. Everything else was new. You know what I'm saying? Um, La Fleur La Fly was kind of an accident. Not the record, but the way it took off. It's, it's so funny because I'm working with Moni Love and she told me a story recently that I never knew. Shout out to Evil D. He was on Hot 97 at the time. So they put a record out called Blah. They had a video for it. I don't know if y'all remember that record. By another producer, not even in the beat mic. Right. That helped yeah. Skelton, you know, did the record with. And they made that the A side. They spent the money on that video. You know what I'm saying? It didn't take off. Then what happened was, uh, when they when they put, did the 12 inch, my song was already the B side. You know what I'm saying? My La Flow La Fly was a B side. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Blah was the A side. And certain people up at High 97, they were discovering the record. Uh, Moni was like, yo, e, when E was playing it, she was like, yo, what's that record? And he said, oh, this is a, you know, the Help Schedule record. My man, they called this. She's like, I need that instrumental from the computer so I can make it a music bed so when I go on the air, I can talk on it. <laughs> wow. So she did that. Then Angie Martinez heard it. Like, Yo, what's that you, you talking over? Oh, it's just this 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 record. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So she took it out the computer, started talking over it. Then when Angie was doing the Battle of the Beast on High 97, she she snuck that in and wanted that Battle of the Beast one night and it won. Yeah. So even though Evil D was on the radio at the time on High 97, the personality started supporting that record and it kind of got everyone in High 97 to start flanking to support the record when that happened that's when it was like oh shit we gotta we gotta put this out we gotta we gotta shoot a video yeah. so they shot the video for for the flow to fly and if you notice it's a small budget but the way they did right the back concept, yeah they did it just in a film studio no real no real production just you know they, 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 they just came up with the concept of like a yeah. five heartbeats uh but they did it as a <laughs> school nah, the, just... the, the rest of the work was just the camera angles you know like the solo yeah. shots mixed in with the group shots right that was the yeah. video that record just gives the gives the vibe of like to me it's like 80s hip-hop feel good hip-hop and I think that's why it took off. So you told us one of the you told us one of the cons of being sort of like in-house production. What's a pro of being an in-house? The pro producer? was getting being called on to get a lot of work. We were to boot camp what RZA was to Wu Tang. You know what I'm saying? We did we developed the artists. Then when they had budgets, we produced the artists. So the first three albums coming out of the collective from Black Moon to Smith and Wesson. Health Skeleton, all produced by me, Evil D, and Mr. Wall. A cu- few contributions externally, like I think uh, E. Swift from The Alcoholics. Yeah. He, he produced another song for Health Skeleton. Did my my dude, um, um, Sean. Um, damn, I forgot his producer name. He produced for The Alcoholics. Sean J. Period. Okay. He produced like one or two tracks uh-huh. on, on that Health Skeleton album because he and I became friends. He was from Brooklyn. We became real good friends. And he would bring me to the studio while he was working with, with um, um, Artifact. Right. And, and he was like, yo, they do some shit. And that's how I got the ultimate. 
because he brought me around the artifacts, and in exchange, I brought him around Helter Skelter. So I got on the artifacts album, and got on Helter Skelter's album. Good Just network. Like yeah, niggas don't do that no more. Because you know everybody want to save it for themselves. Yeah, we yeah. all, everybody in hip hop knew each other. Beatminers, DITC, Tribe, Large, Heat. We all knew each other once we came into the game. We were all peers. Some of us were more friends than others. Diamond D, Buck Wild, Lord Finesse, we all knew each other. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and shout out to Buck Wild, like, like Sean J. Period, he and I had a very good friendship at one time. We're still cool, but everybody's just busy doing them these days. But, you know, we, we would tell each other who's working on what, who's in the studio. Yo, go play some beats for Suspect, they're in the studio right now. That kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yo, yo, it was I a great to- time, man. I, I I had asked um we had heat makers on right and I was like yo what's um tell me an underrated producer who don't get their their credit and he said I think he said Buck Wild mm. and I was like I agree yeah, but that's hard for me because I to me Buck Wild is dope but I don't see Buck Wild as being underrated <laughs> so yeah but you know but, but he, he come from the camp he come from that camp where all them other guys, not that they outshine them but you know you, you hear finesse you hear diamond d you hear showbiz right what can and then, you and, and, and later, then, a late, little bit later on right and I, then also diamond d he was a producer and an artist so his sir. his uh cachet is a little bit bigger yeah. you know what i'm saying and and then the other thing is producer producer wise buck wild not only did stuff with DIPC, he was quietly a part of the bad boys movement he produced he said, i got a story to tell yeah, yeah storyteller. He produced Woe for Black Rob, which is a classic. You know what I'm saying? And he's been working like me, just under the trenches, but working ever since. He, a lot of times, he pops up on the same records I do. He's on AZ's coming album. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's, so yeah. he's like, yeah. it's like I, we have a lot of respect for each other. We keep in touch. Sometimes I hit him, you know, like just tell him, you know, what's up, salute, keep, keep, keep up the great work. Well, I congratulate him on a record I came across that he did that came out and I love it you know what I'm saying like yeah. um, I, I believe Buck believe, I, I put Buck in the 90s era right along with some of the other greats that are uh, recognized like a premiere like a large professor like a yeah I've, I've always I've always thought he so he has his contributions are balanced he has records that's respected on the underground he also has some mainstream yeah. that's not yeah, denied Yo, remember, so what? remember Master IC, Mike Duranamo? Of course. Come on, yeah. son. Yeah. That record is Crazy. incredible. You can play that yeah. shit right now <laughs> and you'll catch a vibe. Yo, that's I got that as one of my one of my favorite underrated albums. That and I like um Ghetto Millionaire. Um yeah. Royal yeah. Flux album. Those are yeah, dope. Yeah. Shout out to Flux, my nigga. We, we have a record out called Largest Borough with him and a, another OG homie named Isaiah from Kings that's out right now. You can check that out. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so yo, so what do you think prevented Duck Down from breaking bread? Because well, the formula was there. Aside, we know greed well, is really the You just said it, greed. Um, you got to remember, at this time, Duck Down was management. And not for me, but like for all the artists. Mm-hmm. And they were the ladies. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So once they got that deal of priority, they were a major independent. They were right up there with anybody in the market. The only other label that independently that was picked up our priorities that as y'all know was no limit. You remember? Yeah. So uh Brian Turner, y'all remember the ice cube story, yeah. right? 
he, 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 he did the partnership with Duff Down. He was funding those albums that we worked on. And when supposedly they weren't recouping what they were spending against what they were making, because Duff Down had offices on his 18 feet at the time. Between fifth and sixth, they were right up the block from Rockefeller Records. You know what I'm saying? At that time in the 90s, in their own plush offices. So they were making money. But I guess everyone can questionably say none of Duckdown's albums certified gold. I know better, but unlike Wu-Tang, you can't say it's not on public knowledge or public record that those albums certified gold. So the perception is they're not a successful label. So after after the two-year time frame, you know, Priority pulled out of their partnership with Duckdown. And I remember around that time frame, Drew was like, yeah, man, you know, it's over. You know, like, he was a little depressed and upset. They had to close the offices in the Manhattan and the whole shit and, and just start over. And then he partnered with Rob, Robert Cornerstone doing a lot of marketing, and he was able to find ways to keep the label alive. I don't, I, from that time, it was around the time I pulled out, so I don't know where they went, business structure, where they set up their offices or anything after that. And then the years later, you saw the new cats come in the game that they got behind, like Sky Zoo, Static Selector. Ah, I like Sky Zoo too. Yeah, yeah, I, I just like, did a record with Sky Zoo that's out right now. I'm only love Jim. Yo, I feel time. like they kind of laid the groundwork though for like a raucous. Like they were like the, 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 the absolutely baby over the way and show raucous. Absolutely. Speak, and, speak and, of and I've done business with raucous too. <laughs> let me, let me, let me ask Effect. Yo, Effect, what, who are some of the, some of the artists that you DJ for that was a great experience? Okay. Um, I did a mixtape with AZ. We did um, Last of the Guys in the Dying Breed, Part 1, Part 2. Um, Raph. Mixtape. Um, like Raph. Like Raph. That's right. Yeah. My God, my God, Flush. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Um, me and Mike Geronimo, we was supposed to do some, you know what I'm saying? Some stuff, but, you know, everybody's time got a little bit, you know, and things like that. Um, I did little things with Cheeks, of course. Okay, you kept it Queens, Cuba. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, this is you know, I I just keep my sources where you know reach where I know it can really happen. You know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yo, I feel like um that that first Mike Geronimo album, The Natural. I was I was so disappointed when he put out Vendetta because I'm like. I don't know if it was Irv getting close with Puff and, and, and selling him on, yo, you could be this huge commercial artist, but that first album yeah. with, with all them songs on there, the, the, the natural was just like, hey. You know what that was? It was pressure. It's kind of like what Nas went through with Illmatic to it was the next album. Okay. Yeah, they brought in the Trackmasters and they started making more commercially viable yeah. records. Because... But that second album, one of my good friends, Prestige, who produced that um that one song not, with Puff. Not me, but the money. You know? Yeah. I always loved that sample, but I understand the commercial approach compared to the first album. You dig right. what I'm saying? And I think he fell under that same pressure that the dude from Queens, solo artist, critically acclaimed, didn't really sell enough records, TBT 
DDT was originally a label. For, they made their money off of soundtrack, movie soundtracks, and television's greatest hits. They licensed songs from TV shows and sold them as compilations and made a shit ton of money. Steve Gottlieb, the owner of the label, I know him. I remember when they accepted Blunt recording. You know what I'm saying? I was around for that. You know, I have a whole other story that I ain't gonna waste our time with, but you know, <laughs> they did the deal with my Geronimo, Ja Rule when he was in the group, Cash Money Cash. You know what I'm saying? Herb was the AR, you know what I'm saying? And he got his AR position from being Mike DJ, and he graduated to Def Jam, and the rest is his stuff. You know? Yeah. But but yeah, you know, I feel Mike was under that same pressure that Nas was under that second album of Nas did. Yeah. The difference is he was on Columbia, so when they put that bag behind him, he had a Long Hill feature. It yeah. was a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yo, Yo P, I, have you, yeah, yeah, I was gonna ask you, have you ever worked on a full project with one artist? Um, you know, so weird. You and that artist, because I always ask this, and I and I I I, I speak about this a lot, because people like emailing they fucking tracks. I think. <laughs> Music don't come out the way it should. A nigga's emailing shit versus you sitting there with the artist. Studio making it. And my answer knowing, is yes. Knowing his temperament, knowing the nigga yeah. like Hiddles or whatever. <laughs> so y'all ready for this, fellas? Hit so me, me doing that happened later in my career. It wasn't early in my career with the Jeff Down stuff. It wasn't even after that when I worked on Nah Still Matic or worked for AZ. It took me being independent, we had that conversation earlier, right. me taking the reins and understanding my position in the market and saying, I want to get behind a body work by someone. I ended up working with an artist from Detroit named Super MC. He was known as a freestyle battle rapper. He was uh, featuring the 8 Mile and he collaborated on, first we were just making records together, but then they organically formed a group concept called Crossroads and I named it Crossroads because for me I was at a crossroads in my career like from going into focusing more on being an independent label owner and focusing more on the business like we talked about earlier along with the producing and I wanted to do full bodies of work if I'm either producing a whole album of the artist or I play executive producer for the artist that I work with I didn't want to just be do the place in the beat on a record. Like right, 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 right. I want to have some kind of controlling factor for anything right. I put my name behind. You know what I'm saying? So we ended up doing two EPs actually. Um, one's called X Amount, the other one's called The Road Less Travels Out. You know what I mean? We critically acclaimed all of the all of the, 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 the media we did behind it. Everyone always said the music was dope. I guess the comparable as far as the creative direction would be like Gangstar Modern Day or like what Prime was, which was Royce and Tina. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those are my comparables to, to allow you to get the picture of what me and him were doing as a collection. Yeah. Um, Yo, um, shout out, shout out to M. Rec. I saw on your interview with um M. Rec, you gave <laughs> one of the most descriptive breakdowns in terms of how like royalties and things like that work. And I was wondering if you could kind of go into even a little bit more detail as it works because we see now what's coming up. You see the dude, um, Freddie P from Making the Band. You see Bass coming out. We've had a number of artists actually come on the podcast and talk about how they don't have the publishing or other issues that they have as it relates to royalties. But I don't think that people have a real clear understanding of how royalties work 
And I definitely yeah. love the fact that a lot of people don't have an understanding in terms of how royalties work when it comes to streaming. So anything you can lend to that conversation, I think will be appreciated. Sure, sure. sure. Well, I'll start with just my experience and, and I'm gonna give you a, a, some references that allow you to get the picture about My whole career, starting with the beat minus to now, I signed with a publishing admin company. A publishing admin company is a little different than doing a co-pub deal. Co-pub deal is when, let's say, a Universal or Sony comes in and they want to buy into your work for a term. Let's say it's two years, a year, to give you advance for that. Whatever they feel you're worth based on what you have in the market and what they anticipate you're about to come out with in the market and, and, and it possibly doing well, they'll give you 200000 quarter million, whatever, you know what I mean? It, it, it's all negotiable. And this is when co-pup deals was a big thing for writers and producers, especially 90s into early 2000s, right? I did an admin deal since day one, since Duck Down Day. Admin deal, the company's called the Royalty Network. You can Google them. They have offices in New York and LA. Um, I did an admin deal, which means that they administrate all of my career catalog and their fee is like anywhere between 10 and 15%. When I first signed with them, it was 10%. But of course, as time grew by years later, you know, for the services they do, they, they started wanting a little more. So I, I agreed when I re-up for 15%. So every quarter, my entire career catalog, whatever it's doing internationally, my mechanical royalties, they administrate it and collect it for me here to oversee. And I get my payment based on you know the success of the, the, the catalog I have and now this is separate from BMI and ASCAP this is separate from performance royalty you understand and um, what Royalty Network also does within their means is help you get placements for licensing opportunities I remember one time they placed one of my records in one of the NBA Jam games remember the NBA Jam yeah 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 back in the day they placed the record I did in an NBA Jam game so they their business is, is to do licensing placements, you know, based on your catalog. If they could get it in film, television, sync licensing, video games, they do that. Is um, that how Live It Up from Farrell March got on Friday, I think it was? Actually, no. They collected after the fact, but Living It Up was because I produced a record for Farrell March that was supposed to be on that first album he did, Internal Affairs for Rockets. But once the album was pretty much done and my record was done, they loved the record, but they just felt like sonically it didn't sound like the creative direction of this album. So it was like, we're going to hold this record. We're not going to put it on the album. And then at that time, Rockers had a partnership with Priority. So when the Ice Cube soundtrack came about, which was distributed by Priority, and the movie was coming out, it was like, yo, send us some records you got. So Priority saying that to Rockers. So they submitted my record. And just like, yo, we love this record. It's Farrell Monty, you know, Fat Legend, Rocket. Right, right, absolutely. They're gonna put it on the soundtrack and in the movie. So you watch that movie right now, that scene where Day Day's talking to Miss Hall, she's like, I got the dime blaze for you. My song is playing in the background. I still get paid for that. And it's on the soundtrack for that next Friday soundtrack, and that's a gold soundtrack, so I got a gold record for that. So shout out to Faramon and thank you to Ruckus Records for licensing that record because yeah. I make more money off of it on that soundtrack than I did on this album. <laughs> yo, yo, FX, let me let me ask you this. Um, we do we do a little segment 
on the podcast where we call we call it Gimme Five. And some time ago, we had a Gimme Five where it was, you gotta give us five records guaranteed to rock a party. But here's the catch. Those five records, you don't know what the audience is. You don't know where the party is at. You just gotta go into your five records to rock a party. What's those five records for you? Oh man. And I'm taking and I'm taking notes too, because I want to be I sure know, you don't know. They just gonna drop you to be in Dubai, you can be in Spain, you can be in Harlem. I'm glad. I'm glad you I'm gonna do I'm gonna do no order. No order. Okay. Taking notes, baby. Jay Z did it again. Do it. Do it again, yeah. Do it again, yeah. Shout out to Rockwiler. Put your hands where I can see. I can see that. That Buster record is up the night. Yeah, yeah. Um, still Dre. Okay. Still D.R.E. Still D.R.E. I'm going to go with um, 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 Blackout. Blackout. Hold on, hold on. Blackout. That's DMX, right? No. Microphone. Method Man. Method Man. Rockwaller. Rockwaller. Yeah, Rockwaller. Yeah, okay, okay. I know about that. Yeah, the Rockwaller, yeah. Yeah. And, um, That's two Rockwilder records. Okay, cool. Yeah, two Rockwilder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, 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 we run this. We run this. And, and, and the reason why I said that is because you said you can be anywhere in the world. Anyway. So now I'm thinking. So now I'm thinking. Now I'm thinking. You said we run this. Are you talking about that song? We run, we run this town. Yeah. So interesting enough, you think you you think all hip hop. You think all hip hop, no R and B or not because you know why? Because you said anywhere in the world. And I already know once you go once you go across that pond. That's it. Those jump all. Yeah, but uh, when you start, when you talk about across the, the pond, like they they just embrace, they have a better appreciation, I think, for hip hop and the culture. Hey, 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 he, he, so yeah. Flex is right with that. He's right. So now, 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 hypothetically, I'm going to do um, those the things you do, right? Um, um, the faith joint. Um, Choice is yours, you know, that whole that whole day. Um I won't go into Oh man, I'll go into a whole bag. Um the seven oh the seven oh two with Nas, um Maya and Jay Z. You know what I'm saying, the best of you. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Sleeping in my bed. You know, we can we, we, we do it. Come on. <laughs> I'm, about to, I'm about to ask you for a tape, my nigga. <laughs> yo, yo. Bust, you gotta follow him. Yo, yo, fellas, fellas, follow him on his live. Like, he goes live on Instagram doing sets. He be killing it. I watch. And he's also, he's also on Bigo. You know, B-I-G-O. That's the app where he goes live, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, I watch. Yo, so, 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 Paul. Destroy and rebuild. 
Now I play the track for you, or you in the studio and you hear, this is a, what is it? This is a story about the world's most notorious project, Queen's Brick. Yo, what's your reaction? What's your response to that? Like, where's this going? I'm going to give you the quick backstory. Um, what's you call it? Um, shout out to my man Prestige, home of the bad boy hitman. It was his idea to submit beats to Nas. We both submitted beats to Lenny Nicholson, who was the A&R Sony Records at the time. We also responsible for the success of A. Marie, and you know that's actually her husband now. And you know, good friend of mine, we keep in touch. Um, so I sent Lenny the music, didn't get called back right away. Like maybe months later, going into the summer, from the top of the year into the summer, and I got the call back. And it was like, yo, Nas is using your record. We want you to come to the studio. So it was Times Square at uh, Right Track Studios in Times Square. No forget. And I got the call to come and do the record. And lo and behold, Nas had already recorded most of the vocals because some of the music for that album, he recorded it in the Bahamas privately. You know what I'm saying? This is an escape because all the stuff he's going through. Remember that? Yeah. That was the time with Jay and you know, him. Was, you know. So... So he came back from the Bahamas and he, he hit the right, he hit the studio. So I came in there and didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was recorded, what wasn't. You know what I mean? I found out as I got there. So he's like, yeah, you know, I, I laid most of it, but I definitely want your input before I finish it. And then he played the record. So I'm hearing it. Then I hear him mentioning names and going at niggas. I said, oh man, this is a diss record. Again, my ego kicked in. My ego kicked in. I, I'm sorry. I'm a Virgo. I can't help it. I'm like, I'm getting a Nas record. I want a single. I want to hit record. Let's go. You know what I'm saying? And I heard it was a diss record. I said, oh, that's not good. So, so I'm like, all right, let me figure this out. So I'm listening. I'm listening. Then he does the outro. He had already laid the outro. Bro, I can't even tell you what he was saying on the album. I can't repeat it. I can't repeat it. So I was like, this is dope, but here's what I'm thinking. Just listening to your hook, why don't you like close it out where you speaking your, your, your issues, right. close it out on a level of a positive note, talking to these same people. Right, right. So he did that whole outro over based okay. on my suggestion. Okay. You listen to the outro after the rap, the hook, the hook is over he's just talking for right. a few minutes because he was you know leaning on Cormega nature heavy. oh my god he was <laughs> naming names it was crazy and, I, 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 and I'm just like first I, I'm like this is gonna be a single I hope I make the album then the other side of it is like I gotta walk the streets with my name on the record now. you know what I'm saying and I, I'm a queen I'm a queen slash Brooklyn nigga so you know what I'm saying effects know what I'm talking about you know what I'm saying so so I'm like, I gotta, I, cause trust me, when that record came out, I got calls immediately, bro, from good niggas, fans alike. You know what I'm saying? Yo, but that, what's funny. that got to do with you? That don't have nothing to do with you. You just you gotta understand, it's music, man. When your name is something, something sometimes niggas can't differentiate. They think you endorsing that shit. Like, yeah, man, right. man, understand, son. Especially when you got a name and you're in this business and you know certain niggas in the industry, Yo, and then your act, name is on a record where they're talking proud. about some of these niggas. We act They're gonna say to you, well, why didn't you say something? Why you let that go? You dig what I'm saying? So I have to play devil's advocate, you know? Two and things I never mentioned in the interview that I want to say real quick, Professor. One is that uh, at that time, rest in peace, Chris Lighty, he was the manager for Nas at that time when he was doing oh, that album. And Chris Lighty almost wanted to pull the record. He was adamant about, yo, you can't put this out. The reason why 
Mob Deep was also his client. Oh yeah, so that's right. He's in a position where he's managing Mob Deep and Nas at that time, Probably. and Nas has this record. So, and, and me and Lighty knew each other. We were cool. So it wasn't no beef with me. It was just the situation. And he was like, "Yo, we can't put this record out." But Nas are adamant, and Nas forced to keep the record on the album. Cause I, I would have had no saying. Y'all would have never heard it. It would have never hit the light of day. And all y'all would have known was, I, well, I did a record with Nas, but didn't make the album. You think it Yo, I'm, a, I'm gonna tell you how how monumental that song is. When when I first got that album, I was to listen to that album quite a few times. And my lady was like, "Yo, every time that record came on, her nature, old lady pocketbook snatching car keys." This day, she still, yo, she like, yo, that's the, that's that's the track on Steelmatic right there. I'm like, wow. To this day, yeah. shout to nature, shout to Mega. You know, right. you know, it's crazy because you know, at different points in time, cats are really feelings, but thankfully we're all cool. You right. know what I'm saying? And, sure. and, and it, it never got past that, you know, because they know it was business and it's a record, and it, it was dealt with years later between them and Nas and their, their relationship. Davis, yeah, yeah, crazy. I'm happy to you know see what that. Saying? But at that time, it was just real crazy. It was just real crazy. You know what I mean? And I remember in that studio, that he, yeah, Nas had security in that studio. Like, I had to be patted down just walking through my session because it was it was that tense of the time with everything that was going on. You know what I'm saying? And um, I remember when I, I mixed the record, I mixed the hell out of that record and, 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 and shot the jungle. He was like, yo, as soon as I get a copy of this from the studio, I'm taking this shit right to the hood. He's taking it to Queensbridge. Yo, the disrespect is crazy. Right to the hood. Yo, the disrespect. You see the look on Effects' face because he already know what that meant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. man. I'm just gonna, I'm just, you know, when he was mentioning that about him getting the phone calls, when it comes down to Queens, you know. I love my bubble, but I know my bubble could get a little I'm just gonna say this. Yeah. I'm gonna say it, it, it's petty. It can get yeah. real petty real quick. Yeah, real quick. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A lot of finger pointing and shit. You know, yeah, yeah. That's not yeah, what we yeah. here for, you know what I mean? Yo, so, so that was I, the I, first I, and last disc record I ever attached my name to. I always made it. Uh, point to to not you know into that you know what I mean. Um, I've been approached to do it again in the, in the, since then, and I, I turned it down. Yo, so somebody roll up like, y'all need you to produce it. This record for me? Yeah, I, I'm not even gonna name names. <laughs> uh, I get another phone call for this interview. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're 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 always look for that single. So what makes excuse me? What makes a chart topping single? Mm. You know, so funny. I've always felt like, or oh, is quality, it just luck? Is it just a stroke of luck? It's 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 a combination of things. It's smart business. It's it's, it's the situation with the label and the artist, the time and their budget. It's um, the lightning in the bottle with the records they make. Um, I feel like some some hit records are manufactured, and some hit records are just organically made by the Earlier in hip hop, a lot of hit records was to me organically made by the people. There was no structured formula on a corporate level to get have a machine just get behind a record. That happened over time. Right. The more corporate hip hop became where major companies were spending money on these artists, the more strategic hit records became. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. 
can I interject a little bit? Yeah, please, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. All right. So, so again, if you want to go back with, 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 with history, you know, that with that first record that was introduced to the world, that was Good Times. Right. Which was which was a hit, right? Right. You go fast forward when One DMC did Mary Mary, that was already a hit. When they used the um the Al Smith walked walked this way, right. that was a hit. So so in some cases, if you're gonna reborrow a hit, hit for hit, it's gonna be a hit. It's gonna be it's a like hit. Like, like what Bad Boy would do. Exactly. You know exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Hit the time. Herb yeah. Alfred. More money, more exactly. problems. Died of us. You know, so yeah. and so on and so on. <laughs> well, yeah, I kind of Even feel Juicy. Like juicy, for example. That's, that's a fact. That's yeah. a piece like of Yeah. yeah. Yo, I, I, I feel like you kind of had a hit in the essence with Nas and AZ because that was Grammy nominated, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. How'd that come and together? It's so funny. That's another B side. Shot the Buck Wild. Because the A side was I'm back. That's my shit. Dude. Remember? Yeah. That yeah. was the A side to that record. That was a 12 week. That record was the B right side. Now. If you watch the video to I'm Back, it starts with a little kid before he comes out and he's walking the streets to AD. My song is playing in the beginning. Then it goes into I'm Back. Remember the era of the double videos? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. My song starts that video. You know what I'm saying? But because they didn't want to spend money shooting a whole visual, they just put a snippet. Right. And then I'm back comes on. So it's crazy. Me and me and Buck Loud just have a back-to-back history on a lot of shit, bro. <laughs> but uh um but yeah, I was a B-side to I'm back. But when that record was being recorded, it was being recorded at Sugar Hill Studios since FX mentioned Sugar Hill. You know, shout out to Sugar Hill Gang and Sylvia um, and the whole Robinson family. That was recorded there in Jersey. And before we even finished the record, a, a, a half of a snippet of it was leaked to DJ Clue. And he played it around Super Bowl weekend that year on the radio. It's like, no shit, no one may see the essence. He played it on the radio. The record wasn't even done yet. So shout out to Clue for that. And then once I make the song, you know, Turned it into out. It was the last song to make the album right before it came out in June that year. And the crazy shit is, I probably was one among the last recording sessions of the Sugar Hill Studios in New Jersey because it burned down right after that. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a lot of history, right? <laughs> yo, yo, that's that. But I mean, that springboard to, to an amazing relationship because you did a lot of work with AZ. Even the Nef, yo, the Never Enough Join is like one of my favorite songs off Doing Down too. Shout out to my co-producer. Shout out to my co-producer on that record, Rockin' Prime. You know what I mean? You know, it, it was music. He had an idea from a Japanese sample, and and then I took the record with him, and then I placed it with an up-and-coming singer named Mara Kay from Brooklyn. I loved her tone. Her vocal tone reminded me of like Amy Winehouse, and she's a purist. She's a real jazz singer. She's really like sings in jazz clubs with a band, live band, like for real. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yo, chick from Brooklyn. Really if, talented. If nobody, you know? if nobody hasn't said this to you yet, I'm telling you, you need to try to get something to Rick Ross. Because, you know, it's so funny because yeah. uh, I, I, I had some conversations about that. I had some conversations about that, and then Ross had dropped the album like right around that time. And and by the way, 
there's a deluxe version of AZ's album and a deluxe version of Russell's latest album that both came out at the same time. And AZ has a song on the deluxe version of Russell's album featuring wow. him. And then my the song I have with Ross is on the AZ album. They 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 they've built a working relationship and there's some things that's gonna be happening with them that you know I'm not gonna let the cat out the bag. FX, come on, but FX is gonna he was like, come on. I'm glad you asked that question. I'm glad you I'm glad you said that because it's like, you know, remember I said earlier sometimes with our discussion it's like neither one of us one of us is about to push the button. <laughs> That's one that, of those. That, that was one of those conversations right there. And you see how he you see how he was, right? Like, like <laughs> oh no, so no, oh, no. Like, like, I'm, I'm saying that Yo, I, I'm learning that people do watch my interviews and I do get them phone calls, man. So I'm not sleeping in y'all. I'm not sleeping in y'all audience. I'm gonna get a phone call after. Yo, I'm, I, yo, I'm saying that respectfully as a fan, I listen. I listen to Az on the beat. Az Az kills it always. So I, you know, you know what you was getting from A. But then I listen to uh, Rick Ross on. I'm like, yo, based yo, on Ross's verse was crazy. Yeah, his verse is crazy, and and just the style of that beat, like the, the melodies and everything. I'm like, yo, this, yeah. It's like whoever decided to put Rick Ross on that track. If it was A, he, he definitely knew what he was doing. That was the feature. Like we put the record together that had to put the ready. Turn the light on a little bit. It seemed like it was getting dark. Yeah. Uh, we had the hook and we had A on it, and then uh, between him and his management, they would be pondered around like, "Yo, let's try to get it done." And, and 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 I heard from A years before he had met, he had met Ross years ago, and and he said Ross approached him was like, "Yo, I'm a big fan, you know, love to work with you." So he knew he knew that this that that Ross is a fan of his work, even though he's technically uh, in terms of. Mainstream notoriety and stature of a more widely recognized artist than AZ, but mm-hmm. the respect within the culture was there between them. So <coughs> he reached out. He, right. Like he did interviews with this album on behalf of his album, and he said everyone he reached out to, from Lil Wayne on down, it was like students. Yeah, they yo, they you know they, 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 they all showed love. It was never political, and I'm happy for him because I, I've always said you should never worry about. Being afraid to reach out, just reach out. You never know. You don't know who you are. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, sure. Yo, so I'm we just happy for him because this album was very well received. It Shout definitely, yo, it definitely was. We, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta get ready to rap. But you know, I, uh, another question. You know, and then I want to give you, I want to give you opportunity also to talk about like the things that you got in the mix yes. with your brothers working Absolutely. on. What made you transition from the producer, artist hat to the executive hat? to be like the, the label owner kind of thing. What, what led to that transition? I think it was just the school of hard knocks and natural transition. Like I was saying from the duck down days to after that, I just looked at my career and I looked at the fact that I had to wear different hats. I started doing A&R consulting for Cox Records. I started doing role management and product management for Main Source. I just started doing different things. Damn not busy. just to make money but to explore busy, right. business right. understanding art understanding culture and having relationships there you go. as a working producer you build relationships on different levels other artists other producers record label executives A&Rs people who do marketing so it's like why don't I you know like capitalize on these relationships and just create different opportunities for myself right. Right. 
So, uh, shout to my mentor, Neil Levine, the owner of Penalty Records, who gave me my first oh, opportunity. Okay. Like, I had an artist that was uh, had deals on the table, you know, that I had did some music for. I, he was from Portland, Oregon. Shout out to Ella. He goes by the name SOXO now. And he had offers on the table, and I went to when Neil was at VP of A&R at the time for um, E1 Records, formerly known as Kai, I came to him when it was E1, and I said, I wanna I wanna pitch this to you. And he was like, yo, you know, I can't offer you a big budget, but I like what I'm hearing, I see the potential, you know, I'm gonna give you distribution, and you can put, you know, put that record out and put the muscle behind it, and we'll see what happens. And that was my opening. Before that, I did do smaller deals, like I had did a deal with, like I said, with Universal Public, with um, Monty and Avery Lippman, but it was I wasn't ready, because I, I I was just learning how important it is to use your distribution partnership as a label, to have your own resources and money, you know what I'm saying, to push a record. So, I was gonna, I was actually working with a mill formerly Rockefeller at the time when I did that deal, wow. and I developed a whole body of work, effects hosted a mixtape, Call a mill returns. You can Google it on YouTube, and you know I didn't put her music out. We have music from me, Kwame, Easy Mopi, incredible records wow. sitting in my computer to this day. You know what I'm saying? And um, we didn't put it out because I didn't have the resources to push it a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I did the E1 deal, I put that record out by that artist. It did well, generated some real numbers. And this is before the, the digital age is now what it was then. We're talking like. 2007, 2008, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I learned from that. So I said, all right, from now on, I'm going to build my resources. Because right. resources is important, not just money, but it comes right. to music, you know what I'm right. saying? So that if I get another distribution deal, I'll know how to operate. So after the E1 situation, uh, I did a couple of venture partnership deals with a couple of different independent artists, paid an executive producer, developed the music, put it out, did whatever I did. And then I got to this point with an artist out of mid- the Midwest, Michigan, named Dre Banks. Shout out to Dre Banks, one of my childhood friends. Um, Effects is actually doing a mixtape that they're going to drop. They got a series called Coke Is It, while you want to shoot us out. They got a new tape coming, you can look out for that. And with Dre, I put out a couple of singles, and I ended up getting a distribution situation with 300 Entertainment. They have a, a distribution arm called Sparta. You know what I mean? And the reason I built that relationship with 300 is because my business partner, Antonio Galaz, out in LA, you know, he came from Love and Hip Hop fame. He was managing um, female artists by the name of Summer Bunny, who was known as the, the, the mistress from the, the whole Cardi Offset situation some years ago. You know what I'm saying? So we, we, we were pushing her for a little bit, but things didn't go as planned. So. Um, his son started buzzing, his son's name is Little Zell, and he ended up getting signed at 300. He's still over there for a seven-figure deal. So we right. actually built from that, we formed a partnership to do the distribution, and we put out my boy, Dre Banks. Both of his records are doing well. He has a song out of my co-producer featuring Trina that streamed over a million. He yes. has another record out called Off The Chain that's over four, four million in streams. And now Effects is about to do like a mixtape put out a body of work just so he can have more than just a single really, really keep them yeah. In the, yeah, keep them in the mix, you know what I mean? And then, um, you know, like it, I just, I, I'm just excited because now I really got my feedback with the executive hat and, you know, I've learned a lot over the last 10, 15 years. I know what to do and what not to do and how to do it wisely. 
and there maximize the potential of a record. There you saying? go. Yes. But right now, my hump is, is is getting over the getting the other executives, the bigger executives, to be like, "Yo, this kid knows what he's doing." Yes. So once I get me and my partner and our, and our company on a certain level independently, then you have those venture partnership conversations where the bag comes in. But I'm going to do it in a way where I always control my destiny. I'm not gonna let nobody come in just because they bring in a check and then take Preach over the and control yeah. the masses and control yeah. the narrative. Yeah. Like you yeah. said, I'm not doing that. I'll yeah. wait. And you gotta keep I'm FX cool. with you too to keep so he can keep oh, yeah. you honest. That's why he's <laughs> here, man. That's yeah. why he's here. Yo, yo, he's you trust, trust, balances. Me. trust me, man. You know, uh, yo, we talk all the time, and he, yeah. you, know, you know, I always give him my input. Um, yeah. Things like that, so. balances, man. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hard work, but it, it will pay off. And, it you will know, pay off. That's a fact. But, so I, right now, I'm just balancing between being a working producer and running this label. You know, just on the producer side, I'm co-executive producer Money Love new album. It's called Love Struck. We have yeah. a song out featuring Sky Zoo. Song on video. Go check it out. It's called Divine. I just finished missing her next single with an artist out of Europe. Crazy record. And it's, it's gonna feature production for me, Kwame, producer Apollo Brown from Detroit. You know, so look out for that. It's real dope. And um, still work with Dre Banks. You know, like I said, effects got the mixtape coming. Um, uh, I'm working with actually an artist from Queens that was introduced to me by effects by the name of Sali Bay. You know what I'm saying? He, he's, he's got a real organic sound. It's like it's like meets. It's like 50 meets most. What'd you say? He's a more. He's a more. Yep. He's a more. Yes, sir. I know that that's an energy coming towards you, bro. Yeah. yeah. His, his music is like 50 Yo, meets you know so crazy. most death meets Jay Electronica. It's Hold crazy. on. Hold on. <laughs> he said it right. He did something all up in one. He said, yo, he's a more. And then the way, and then he said, yo, that's energy coming right to you. And let me tell you something. He is nothing but energy. positive energy. <laughs> and the music is coming out crazy. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm really impressed, you know? Because nice. we knew each other for years. He's been doing mixtapes with effects from, from a time ago as a yeah. working artist. And then he took a hiatus and he came back to the table to work with us. And, and like, now? Right. It's crazy. Yeah, and and he representing Queen. You dig what I'm saying? So uh, stay tuned for that, you know? And of course, the whole big homie at AZ called me not too long ago, so I believe we'll be in the works and working on some new music. Get back in the lab. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, you said you said you was holding on to some shit, AZ and Nas shit. Whoa. Oh, oh, man. <laughs> oh, you linked. You linked that one. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to speak on that because you know those guys have worked on records that never came out. There's a record called Serious that Salam Remy produced. Some years ago, we talking about back when um, Nas did that double album. Yeah. And oh, okay. that, that leaked on the internet, but that was as far as it went. And that record was crazy. And I've had records that I've done with them that never came out. Now, I don't know what, what's being done with that catalog. You know, know everybody wants that album bad. Oh, I've said it and I say it again. When they do an album, I, I'm already prepared. You're already locked in. I got records yeah, ready for that. Then so you turn it on and be like, this is a story about the world. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and, and um, you know, um, it's just as far as like tech tech companies and partnerships, I just recently partnered with a company called Paradigm Audio. 
where I'm going to be doing an NFT release of an instrumental album. I originally developed in the past, I told y'all, around 2007 called Throwback City, but I'm re-releasing it with a lot of other material that I've never put out before. So I'm calling it Throwback City Decade. So it's like 20 years of unreleased music as instrumentals. You know what I'm saying? And I'm putting right. that out as an NFT. And um, it's funny, I recently part- yeah, yeah, yeah. And I recently partnered with this company called Fanmire, F-A-N-M-I-R-E. Shout out to the owner, Jamel Anderson. Um, I'm working with them as, as an influencer to share exclusive content. So a lot of the content you hear me talking about, I'm going to just share it exclusively through that platform. Right. People can subscribe and see me behind the scenes working on the music, doing effects, doing stuff with all the artists I'm working with, behind the scenes making videos, you know, right. what am I label, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Just exclusive content available on Fanmire. Yeah. So that's like the sum of pretty much what I'm up to these days. And Yo. Of course, shout out to Untouchables. Untouchables is the family with me in effect. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, that's the DJ family that, you know, they y'all know it's so crazy. About. And then that, BPZ, now he's DJ Baby Paul. Nice. You know what I'm saying? So you see how that you see how that pan out. That's so, it. Yeah. That's it. That's I'm, that's I'm quiet it. about it though. I let him do all the talking. <laughs> yeah. No, I, like, yo, we definitely appreciate you, brothers, pulling up. This was a good conversation. Yeah, man. Little hip hop talk. Yo, I appreciate y'all dropping them gems too. Like yo, anytime to me we get an opportunity to educate the audience, it's it's, it's one that we you know we have to take advantage of because like I said, we right. always have these conversations where artists come on. And, you know, they talk about like the pitfalls and things they've run into in the industry. And to me, it just seems like a cycle of something that continues to repeat itself. It just happens over and over again. You know, so when I heard you speaking about it, I'm like, yo, if we could get a little bit more comprehensive breakdown as it relates to some of this stuff, because I think, you know, I don't know if people really know the intricate details that go along with it. I just think people go, you know, I didn't get paid. Music is so much more than the music stuff. You know, I had to, I come from a school of hard knocks. I had to learn, learn that the hard way. Yeah. Hence the conversation we had, you know? Right. But I tell you what, look at all your business ventures as a result of it. So, you know, if you, you, right. you, learn, you learn from the lesson, you built, and now you take it, and now you share that information. So, yeah, man. Definitely. So, again, appreciate you, brothers. Thank you for pulling up. We want to thank Absolutely. everybody for tuning in for the No Ideas Original Podcast. Have a good night, everybody. Yeah, real quick, I just want to shout out everybody, including yourself, for having us. Shout out to Effects for joining me. Shout out to my partner, Antonio Velaz. Shout out to my company, XMG. I am Jay Banks. Follow him online. Look out for that Money Love Project, Love Truck. Look out for Sali Bay. You know what I mean? All of this stuff. Follow me on Instagram, Baby Paul BPZ. Follow at DJ Mr. Effects. Absolutely. Yeah. Shout out to my whole Untouchable family. You know, um, Scythe, Mo, uh, I can't forget DJ Uni. You know what I'm saying? Um, DJ Director Beats and things like that. So, you know, and thank you for having us. Yeah, for sure. Yes, bro. So no, check out and check out the Instagram live. You see, when you yeah, see yeah, I'm about to Instagram live. We up to something. We up to something. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be in your comments, bro. Very good, very dope interview.
Yeah, man, we, 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 we very, talk, very. having good talks about, you know, what they've been through, how did they accomplishments, you know, the experiences. That's what you want people to learn from, man, learn from the experience. Salute, salute to, um, to Baby Paul, and salute to DJ Mr. Effects. Have a good night, everybody. Peace.